Jewish Latin Princess, episode 122, Kaylee Zaytuni, coach, speaker, and author. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. And what an incredible one it is for you today. I called my guest the Challenge Ninja when we first started this conversation. But by the end of it, I realized that she really is the Wellness Ninja. If you've ever dealt with challenges in your life, and my guess is that you have, because who hasn't, then you have to listen to today's episode and listen carefully. My guest today is Kaylee Zaytuni, best-selling author, therapist, coach, speaker, who turned her challenges into a successful coaching business through sheer resilience and determination. You're going to see that today. What were those challenges? Well, Kaylee was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, at 12 years old. And despite her serious diagnosis, she was determined to stay positive, overcome the disease. And boy, did she. First of all, at age 14, she founded her own nonprofit, Youth Against MS, and she inspired thousands of teens across the country. She also served as a patient advocate to other MS patients and their families for many years. But now, after 18 years of living with this debilitating disease, she committed herself to applying evidence-based mind-body techniques to come completely eliminate her symptoms. Today, she medically confirmed to be disease-free, something almost unheard of. She's taken her personal experience of healing and developed a full coaching business guiding others with chronic illness to experience relief from their symptoms using scientifically backed mind-body techniques. And of course, Kaylee's faith has played a big part in all of this, which we mentioned today. Now, her resilience was tested again when Kaylee's fiance, David Craig, died suddenly. Determined to begin to feel whole as quickly as possible and with the knowledge that she had recently acquired to help heal herself, Kaylee took this on and she knew she couldn't wait for time or try the all too common default of self-distraction. She needed to tackle the pain head on. She surrounded herself with coaches, mentors and therapists to harness every tool possible to face her pain. She turned those tools along with her experience as a marriage and family therapist into her own grief coaching program and now guides others through the loss of a spouse or partner. We unpack so much in this episode. This one deserves to be heard twice or maybe even three times. Here we go, ladies. Here's the unbelievable Kaylee Zaytuni. Kaylee Saituni, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. What an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. It is so timely that you should be on the show because obviously we're experiencing such tumultuous times, such challenging times, and you're you're like the challenge ninja. (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? Yes, you are. You are. (laughs) I mean, seriously, we have so much to unpack today. I mean, where do we begin? Just to give a little context for listeners, um, you help people recover from the devastating pain of losing a loved one. Plus, you also teach people how to find relief from the pain of autoimmune conditions. You've been doing this for a while and I think sometimes even reverse these diagnoses. And both these areas of work, of coaching, you've come to from personal experience, from real medical Mm -hmm. challenges and obviously later on the challenge of grief, of death. Why don't we start with the medical condition? Because I think that's really where it all started. You were very young when you were diagnosed Mm -hmm. with MS, I think 12 years old. And it's a disease that you've completely overturned at this point. So would you mind walking us through that diagnosis and and, and what happened afterwards? Because I I want listeners to get a picture of the experience that you had with illness before we can even talk about the healing process and and you know, what we see is Kaylee today. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so interesting how you ask it because so many people, when they look at me, 
would just, they don't believe me that I ever had an illness. Mm. Um, and you know, illness can look so many different ways, but I, I was very sick. Um, and I had my ups and downs, but sometimes I even don't believe, like, sometimes I'm just like, wait, really? I lived through all of that. Cause I feel so different today. Mm. So, um, so when I was 12, I woke up one morning, I actually woke up in the sukkah, um, on Sukkot, on the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. And, um, and I wasn't actually observant then. I just mm. was hanging with friends and thought that that would be fun. Um, and I woke up feeling really sick, feeling very nauseous. Um, and it felt like the flu times a hundred. Um, that's Corona. really the only way. <laughs> you know, I, as soon as I said, I went, Oh no, everyone's going to panic. <laughs> I was not patient zero, um, you know, 20 some odd years ago. Um, so, um, it was, it, it was a crazy feeling and everyone else was still asleep in the house. And, um, I remember I, you know, I, I like crawled out of the sukkah. I couldn't even stand mm. and I crawled, um, into the house and, just like had to find a bucket to just sit next to because I felt like I was going to vomit. And what we found later was that what was actually happening because, you know, I didn't have a fever. Like it just wasn't adding up to the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, what we found later is that my eyes were rapidly moving right to left, something called nystagmus. So my whole world was spinning constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was having this tingling in my toes, like ants are crawling all over them. And over the course of a couple of weeks, that moved all the way up my legs. So my diagnosis was really, I mean, my world just turned upside down in an instant. And, and it was, it was like, you know, if you think about how much uncertainty all of us are feeling right now, mm-hmm. like I feel so prepared for this moment in time because and this is what so many of my clients are feeling too, is like, well, our lives are uncertain. And anyone living with chronic illness n- just knows that as reality because our everyday is uncertain. And that's what that's what my diagnosis was. It took months to actually get a diagnosis. And in the meantime, my symptoms were worsening. I, in order to adapt um, or just to function, um, I kept my eyes closed at all times, 24 seven. Um, and I was pretty much just in a bed all the time. Someone fed me, showered me, like all of that. So from, from day to, from one night to, from one day to the other, you just, you're, you, you stopped being an, a normal, regular 12 year old who goes to middle school and hangs out with friends and you're in a bed in pain, not knowing what's wrong with you. Yep. Just overnight, overnight life was upside down. And, and the thing is that every day my symptoms changed. So I was really forced to confront uncertainty, how, how fragile our lives are. I mean, just forced to become comfortable with the, the lack of knowing and being out of control. I mean, at a very, at a very young age. So, but, but, yeah. but the I can only imagine when one is so I mean I can imagine as an adult but at, at a, such a young age the emotions are could be so overwhelming and so powerful and the the, the, mm. the frustration the uh, I, I mean I, I your parent I I, 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 I I can't even imagine I just can't even imagine it yeah it's it's so interesting you would think that it would be harder as a kid um my my belief is that it's actually easier. Uh-huh. Children are very resilient. Um, and we, we learn about emotions. We learn about facing challenges from adults. Mm. And it, it was very hard on my parents. They went through a very difficult time. They were amazing at hiding it from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, years later, I only really learned, you know, what, what it was like for them. Um, but they were solid and strong around me at all times. And, and I just, I don't know really how to explain it. I think that it doesn't like, when you tell an adult, when you give an adult a diagnosis, you know, their mind can look at all of the implications. And when you talk to a child, like 
children feel invincible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard for them to even grasp it. So yeah. it might feel sad in the moment or feel scary in the moment. But like by the time you get home from the doctor's office, you're just like, okay, cool. Can I go on the swing now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I see what you're saying. It's like the, the thoughts can't take you yet to those dark places because you don't even have that frame of reference yet. And, exactly. and on the, and, 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 and an additional thing is probably children feel their emotions more raw and genuinely which is probably a good thing whereas we are already so scared of feeling of the feeling that's coming of the wave of emotion right yeah exactly so I was able to to process and face my emotions much more quickly in real time Mm. where exactly what you're saying adults are so afraid of our feelings that that actually makes the it it makes the negative feelings worse it makes them bigger and harder because we're afraid of them. And so they just grow. Whereas you, if you're just emoting in real time, it, you can actually process. And I think also, you know, I had to survive and I, um, I so badly wanted to be around other kids and figure out a way to feel any kind of normalcy Mm -hmm. that I was sort of determined that whatever it was, I was going to find a way around it. So even without fully understanding at the beginning what the consequences were and what the what the implications were, mm-hmm. even though I was given some really, I was given a really terrible prognosis. Um, but somehow I was just like, I just wanted to still find some aspect of normalcy, if that if that makes sense. When they gave you the diagnosis, did they ever tell you that this could be reversed? Was there any positive, any positive messages attached to this? What, what was a light at the end of the tunnel? What was it like? You know, it was the opposite of a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, before I had the official diagnosis, I had a neurologist say to me, you'll be in the wheelchair, you'll be in a wheelchair by the end of high school and don't mind going to college. What? Yeah. So I remember it like it was yesterday. Like I can still see his face. Um, and, and that was before I got the official diagnosis. We were all pretty sure that it was going to be MS, um, but I still hadn't gotten like the official stamp because he, he was a neurologist and he said, this is what you have. And, you know, but you always go and get a second, third, fourth opinion, you sure. know, especially as a child. Um, I ended up getting my official diagnosis at UCLA um, and the doctor was, so phenomenal and had much better bedside manner, thank God. But still, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Everyone just said, you know, your body is basically degrading, which is not necessarily true for MS. Mm -hmm. Um, And they basically said, you know, like, go home, stay in a bed, don't, you know, don't exercise, don't use your body. Today, the approach to diagnosis is so different, because, you know, medicine understands so much more about MS, and that you need, you know, it's use it or lose it. But no, there was really no hope. And and there there were only three treatments available at the time, none of which had ever been used with a child, with a minor. Um, And very few, there was, I was one of the first children in America to be diagnosed. So they were even saying, like, you need to be on medication immediately, but we can't even advise you because, like, it's A, against FDA guidelines, B, we have no idea what the impact will be on your future as you, you right, as you go through puberty is like, they just had no idea what this would mean. So it was, it was a very, I mean, just everything was a blur. There was no clarity, no answers. So what became the new normal? Because I understand that despite the lack of hope presented by the professionals, you didn't you, I guess you press the delete button to all those messages and you, you went to college. I mean, you went through high school and you went to college. I mean, just describe all that for us. (laughs) I hit the delete button. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, there was an inner knowing inside of me that, um, that just wasn't possible, that it couldn't be that, that this human, that the most advanced machine on the planet, right. The body was just that this is how that that was going to go that they said you know x y and z is going to happen and that that's for sure going to happen now was this positive affirmation on your part do we give credit to your parents for that because again 
it's it's such a it's such a powerful thing for you to tell yourself as a child do you think that is something that your parents were reinforcing were they also kind of resistant and going against the grain against what the doctors were saying um no i mean i think i think my parents were more in denial so you know for them it was like if if it wasn't listening to the doctor it was more just because like no this can't be happening uh-huh. you know how is this real um by you which, it was different by you it seems like yeah. there was like a a, a belief that that no yeah. that am I it right? was an intuition it was an intuition I didn't know what to do with it then uh-huh. what it, what I did get I I believe from my parents was was faith Mm-hmm. And all throughout my upbringing, anytime we faced any challenges, my parents talked so much about God. Anytime anything came up, like mm-hmm. he'll get us through it. Don't worry. He's taking care of it. Well, so that sense of trust, trust, um, that's the real word. Yeah, More that was faith. inside of me. And even before, even before I first saw, a, you know, an MS spe- or a neurologist, because I went through so many doctors before I even got to the right department, mm-hmm. um, you know, even before that, because every day was so unstable, um, I really, the only constant for me became God. And so I just naturally started talking to him every day. I don't know that I, I don't, I don't know if I had really prayed before outside of just the conversations that my parents shared with us, but that, that became my constant. And so that was, that was one piece of not necessarily, I mean, not necessarily how I hit the delete button, but how I was able to say like, okay, that may all be true, but I am choosing to trust that there's, you know, a, different a higher reality. power. Yeah. Um, and then something else happened when I was in middle school that I think really, really created a huge like shift in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I went back to school after three months and um, I still wasn't like 100%, I was still having some symptoms but I was doing much better. I was able to go back to school and I, I went to a sleepover with some girlfriends. We were in a, in a small private school. It was, mm-hmm. it was a handful of girls. And I, I also, this is one of the memories I, I hope I'll never forget. We were playing like a board game and it was, it was based on like chicken soup for the soul. If you remember those yeah. books. Mm-hmm. Um, and this question came up. I haven't talked about this in a while. <laughs> wow. Um, it's, I wrote, wow, I haven't thought about this in a while. It's bringing up a lot of emotions. Uh, so this this question came up, uh, who's your hero? And um, and I, since I had been diagnosed, so many people had come into my life and to my family's life to help us in so many ways and provide support and guidance. And so I couldn't think of which one person I would pick who, right. who had suddenly helped and changed my life so much, including my parents, right? Like... Uh, they, they went from having like a 12 year old who's self-sufficient to, to suddenly like having to bathe me again, you know? Um, and so I, did, I couldn't think of who would be the person I would pick. And all of the girls, I think there were probably about 10 of them together kind of looked at me and said, well, we know ours. And I remember feeling, <laughs> remember feeling almost like left out, like, oh, so they all made a decision without me, you know? And, uh, cause we're kids and, and they proceeded to share with me how my experience and the way I was handling it had changed their lives. Wow. And, um, and you know, I, none of that was, was occurring to me at the time. Like I didn't see any of that. I was just trying to survive mm-hmm. and, um, and wanting to do my, to do anything to just be a kid despite having to suddenly, you know, take care of my own medical treatment and give myself shots every day and learn a new way of being and a new way of life. And so, you know, I didn't have time to even process that anyone else was even noticing. And um, that was, that was a life changing moment for me, because I realized, I think that for me was what allowed me to see that nothing is, nothing is random. Mm -hmm. And that there was a reason, you know, I was facing this illness versus someone else versus, you know, God forbid any of my classmates. Um, because somehow I did have the strength and somehow I was able to do it in a way that was inspiring others without realizing it. And so in that moment, I really, it actually gave me even more strength to say, okay, well now I'm going to like really, you know, show up for this in a totally new way and look at, you know, who I want to be in the world and how I can share this experience to help others. So I really became much more proactive about it. 
and and I educated myself more on the illness and on you know other people's experience with the illness. And so I then became sort of the expert sitting with in every doctor's appointment. And I, that's what really I think made the shift in um, in the process of my illness. And you know I've seen time and time again the, the power of mind over matter. Mm-hmm. And I think the moment I realized I was handling it well, like I didn't know it because you're sort of in it, right. But the moment I got that feedback, I realized like, oh, I need to harness this. Yeah, it, empo- uh, it empowered you. It absolutely it, empowered. You realized you're not a victim of this situation. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's so incredible that um, it's such a young age. It's such a young age that we're talking about now. If and you get you start on a on a journey on a healing journey. Uh, mm-hmm. When did that happen? At what point? And 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 I guess what what um what prompted the the journey towards complete healing if that's the correct i'm not sure if that's Mm -hmm. even the correct answer but like was there a tipping point i guess that's my yeah yeah definitely so um i was i was already doing pretty well because like i said it's mind over matter and so my baseline at a certain point i mean I was very sick through middle school and high school, even parts of college. But after college, I really was able to get the disease under control and and really create a solid baseline of health, even though I was still having symptoms um, from time to time. And And you were under medication all this time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you could see the piles Uh of medication that I... I used to, I used to have friends come over and we would just set out like the next, you know, several weeks and we would all like create all the pill boxes together. Like that's what I did for fun. Right. Um, (laughs) so, um, so anyways, so, um, when I made Aliyah, um, in 2015, I, um, I, I had this profound moment where for a few days after I made Aliyah, I couldn't use one of my hands and it was so interesting because like that was a relief that it wasn't anything worse that I could still see and I could still walk. And after such a stressful, I mean, it was such a high in my life, Mm -hmm. but it's a stressful thing to like pack up your whole home and move. Um, was it, yeah, was it- I, I was I was even gonna say like it's already so bold. Why not stay on your comfort zone? Like I'm assuming no. you've graduated college. I'm assuming you're managing keeping a job. I don't know. And yeah. you know, like why rock the boat? <laughs> yeah, no, that was that it, just because it was always my dream. But that was everyone's question. They all went like, "What are you thinking? What's going on with medical care?" And it was, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, everything I had to just line up in advance to make sure I would have proper medical care, like. There was there was such a process and did your parents uh, think you were taking a huge risk? Um they were definitely nervous. They they knew my entire life. They they sort of knew I was going to end up in Israel. Mm-hmm. My father's Israeli and we went a lot growing up. They sort of just knew like I was drawn to it. Mm-hmm. But when it came down to it, you know, there were a lot of fears. Everybody was holding their breath. Yes, that's exactly right. Everyone was holding their breath. Um and and it was almost expected that like I would get there and be sick, that mm-hmm. I would that I would go into what's called an exacerbation, which is when your MS symptoms get much worse or you get a lot of new symptoms. And that that would have been normal. And there I was not being able to use my hand, staying with friends right until like I found an apartment and all of that, needing people to just help me, like even just open a bottle of water or open a bag of chips, things that like we don't think twice about. Mm-hmm. And, or even dial the phone, you know, uh, make a phone call. And, um, and I just went to be able to say like, oh, well, I'm lucky it's not worse. I was like, no, that's, that's not okay. And I just, I was laying in bed again, just days after getting to Israel, just saying like, this is not an okay way to live. I don't want to spend the rest of my life feeling like I'm lucky that I'm not blind, even though I can't use one hand, you know? And I just said, like, I can't live this way. I need to find another way. And and that voice from that 12-year-old that always had this intuitive knowing that the body certainly should have the capacity to heal um, kind of came back. And I went, okay, that's been on the back burner, and now it's time to do this. So that was sort of my tipping point. Well, when what do you do next? 
what did I do next? <laughs> um, I believe that when you make a decision um, in your life, the teachers pre- present themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just the right timing. And so the first stage was um, learning how to quiet the symptoms through a process called EFT, emotional freedom technique. Oh, I love EFT. EFT, mm-hmm. EFT is amazing. <laughs> it's so amazing. And many people don't know that that one of one of that it's such a powerful tool for the body. We use it a lot to to process emotions, um, but it's actually so powerful for the body. And I was really blessed to be connected with a masterful EFT practitioner, um, Shelly Malka. She's she's right outside of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. um, and and she was able to really help teach me how to use it for my body and to, to learn to quiet my symptoms. So I was very determined. Um, I learned from a lot of different people. I read a ton of books. I wanted to learn how others had healed different things. Um, but she was really my guide in the first stage. And, um, what I, what I did, my own determination was if I'm going to take on this belief that the body is processing emotions, that the body thinks it's helping me, then I'm not going to mask any symptom, which was a scary thing to do because, I mean, there were times when I would be in so much pain, I was convinced that like my legs were on fire. I I used to beg to be taken to the emergency room only to be reminded at the emergency room, like, we can't do anything for you. Um, Because like, just working. um, Yeah, so I was always really blessed with jobs that were flexible and with um with like bosses that were very understanding that said I was the queen of pushing myself and overdoing it mm. um so which my body was always reacting to of course you know so like that's why I would end up so sick and this is like the catch 22 of living with chronic illness is it's like the moment you feel well you want to do everything cuz you don't know how long that will last mm-hmm. the the downside is that then you make yourself sick because you push too hard. So that was, that was my life. That was my pattern for years. And I somehow told myself, I had convinced myself that it was worth it because I was serving others and I was, you know, supporting the community and, and doing these like benevolent things. I, you know, I had to learn to let that go and realize that, that, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup and that my health and my well being mattered more than who like the other lives I was going to impact. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think like we don't get that message necessarily in society and, and certain, certainly not in the Jewish community. Like I think it's all about community in, in Judaism and how many people can I, can I serve and who else am I making Shabbat for? And, and that's really beautiful and that's really noble. But like, if you get into the text, we're supposed to take care of me first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but that's not, you know, that's not the message necessarily. So I had to learn to like really let that go, to let go of that identity and that persona that I was holding on to, but it was keeping me sick. So you're, so you're you're working with the EFT practitioner, Mm -hmm. you're practicing this, you're allowing your symptoms to just be there, just flourish. And, 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 and you're just, surviving for lack of I a better survive, word, yeah right yeah so what and, and what next well so I got to the point I mean this is what was what is so so incredible about EFT is I got to the point where it, you it, in the beginning it would take me days to use EFT as a tool to understand what was under the symptom I was experiencing with time I got it down to a few seconds to where I wouldn't even need to actually tap but it just became such a deep relationship with my body that I would, I could literally be sitting in the middle of a meeting and feel pain, take like, excuse myself, step outside, figure out what was going on and then realize, Oh, there was this emotion, this thing that I didn't process, process that emotion and then walk back into the meeting. (laughs) Like nothing happened and not be pain. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) This is intense stuff because I think this applies to everyone listening, whether you're suffering from chronic illness or not. Yes, correct. It's very true. It, 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 It applies to everyone because we are human beings with a body and this is how the body works. (laughs) That's just, that's just how it works. And 
we think of like people will hear what I just said and think it's like woo woo or esoteric. It's not. It's actually the most basic science in medicine because the nervous system, immune system and and our mind psychology are all directly connected. All of those pathways are intertwined. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we we have all experienced this to some extent, right? If um if something scares us, our heart races. Totally. Well, that's that's there to protect you, right? Mm -hmm. But that means that your body is doing that for survival because you might be, you know, chased by a wild animal. The, the problem is that it's just today's fear is I have to have a, a tough conversation with my partner or mm -hmm. I, my boss asked to see me. And all of a sudden your heart's racing. If you don't stop and say like, oh, that's creating some anxiety and discomfort for me or I'm scared of whatever that conversation is going to bring out then you're, the, the damage is being held in your cells. Yeah, I, I have it's, it with my back. It, it's, ah. uh, it's so clear to me when, it's, when it flares up and I have to like stop myself and say, oh, I know where this is coming from. <laughs> wow, but that's amazing. Good for you. So how, how yeah, I know this is supposed to be about me, but can I ask you about that? <laughs> like, yeah, but sometimes I, I, I think I need to do a lot more EFT because sometimes it gets out of control. And even though I mm. know, you know what I mean? Like it, it it takes a lot longer than just stopping and breathing and recognizing the emotions or whatever. So so that was going to be my next question. Um, since you've done mm -hmm. EFT, does one have to be consistent? And I I guess the answer is yes. But yeah, talk to me about consistency. <laughs> well, it's it's about developing a new relationship with your body, right? Mm -hmm. So so if it's okay, if I can use you as an example, sure. um, so you probably know that like you could use EFT to help relieve some of the pain. Um, but even just stopping and pausing and bringing your awareness to the fact that you're in pain first and foremost allows your body to know that you're acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. You're not ignoring it. You're not powering through, right? Mm -hmm. That alone is so profound. And, um, the Piazetna actually gives examples of this, the, the Hasidic master of how the first, line of approach for any kind of like physical ailment is to just just first acknowledge it right. and describe it in as much detail so if you for example are feeling something in your back okay where is it what color is it um does it have a shape is it sharp is, is it sharp pain is it dull pain is it pulsating the more you describe it you're sending the signal to your body i'm i'm not ignoring you I'm i value you. you yeah i'm with you right you matter And imagine, for example, that like a child, you know, who's four mm -hmm. um, is throwing a tantrum and, you know, you may not be understanding why that child is throwing that tantrum, that tantrum, that, that child may not be understanding why, you know, he hasn't had dinner or the right dinner or whatever it is. And so there's like a communication breakdown. You can tell that kid to stop crying all you want. It's not going to matter yep. until, until you like sit down on the floor, get eye level with them and say like, you know, I know that you're feeling out of control right now and that's really hard for you. And what can I do to serve you right now? There's no, that, that's the only possible approach in that scenario, right? Stop crying is not going to work. Um, but we do that to our own bodies all the time. We just keep powering through. We take the ibuprofen. We just keep going But this is the most important relationship in our lives. So that's why, like, when you ask me about consistency, it's so much more than consistency. It's a paradigm shift mm. in your lifestyle and the way you communicate with your body. Like, it's really coming into relationship on a deep, deep level so that at all times, your body brings something up. You're not saying, oh, I have a headache again, or oh my gosh, it's another migraine. It's saying, oh, my body's bringing my attention to something. How can I be in relationship with you right now? What are you bringing to the surface that I haven't dealt with? Or being able to then, when you're so deep in it, you can then turn around and say, listen, I can't deal with this right now. You know, I there's- need, I need a break. <laughs> I need a break, right? It's Lela said there in a few hours, like I can't be in this pain right now. Feel free to remind me in two days, but I can't do this. Your body is so wise. And if you can get into that level of relationship, it will remind you- <laughs> in the exact time that you gave it to the dot, like it's unreal. <laughs> 
but that that's not about to me that's not just consistency it's deep deep work and and it's a reframe it's a reframe because otherwise and i'm sure you can relate to this otherwise we feel betrayed we feel attention with our body like you've you've held me back you've limited me so it's a lot of work to come out of that and that that's a lot of what i do now with others with clients so how long did the healing process take? So wait, at what point did yeah. you get off meditation? I'm sorry, I know there's so, there's so much here. <laughs> when did you get off meditation? So this whole started in around 2015. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're feeling the pain, the symptoms, you're living with them, you're, you, you're using EFT and medication. You st- what happened with medication and et cetera? Right. So um, at the time, um, I had stopped taking medication for my symptoms and just relying on EFT or meditation or like just doing deeper work to. So I would spend days in pain, sometimes just crying from the pain until I was and I would just tell my body, like, you need to tell me what's going on. I'm not going to mask this. And you had coaches through this? I had coaches and more than anything, it was my therapist. She's just so masterful, Shelly. I mentioned before. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I had coaches, I had Rebeam who, I mean, really could understand like, what are the deeper, like Hasidic teachings of how the soul and body work together. Um, I was really, really blessed in that way, but I, a lot of it was intuitive. A lot of it was just trying to figure out my own way, my own path. Amazingly. Now I've found a lot of, a lot of what I used is like out there. Um, and has been been written about, and I'm like, wow, that's so incredible! Like that, other people found their that same path, um, you know, through their own journeys. So, so this all took about two years. So I had cut out any medications that were that were to treat specific symptoms. What I was still on is what's called um, a DMT, a disease modifying therapy. Mm-hmm. So I was getting a monthly infusion. Um, in the beginning, as I started to improve, as I started to get better, um, my neurologist started suggesting, well, maybe we could move you to every six weeks instead of every four weeks, which was a shocking conversation to have because I did not initiate that. I never thought that would ever be suggest- suggested. Mm-hmm. And so ironically, or interestingly, as I was as I was going through my healing process, which I never mentioned to my medical professionals, um, they were basically weaning me off meds. So we were actually in parallel moving the same direction without them knowing. And that, that kind of makes this even more interesting because interesting. you could say to yourself, well, how do you know? How do you know if it wasn't just the medication? Well, I was being taken off medication. There was less and less medication in my system as I was getting better and better. Um, which was just fascinating, um, and incredible. And then basically, so, so what happened? So once to, once I had all my symptoms under control, I always say like, you know, if you're in the middle of a burning building, you don't sit down and meditate, you run for your life. Mm -hmm. So that's to me what the process of getting your symptoms under control is. Only then was I able to do the much deeper work of saying, so, so then why MS to begin with? Like if I'm able to know right now today, what's causing a symptom. Okay. So that's right now today. What, what about that 12 year old, you know, and what, what happens between the mind, body and soul to bring about this kind of disease. And for each person that's, that's different. Um, but I had to do some really, really deep meditation. Um, I accessed, um, an amazing, um, process called journey work by Brandon Bayes. Um, who healed herself from a basketball-sized tumor um, using this approach. Uh-huh. And I would use, I would do her meditation every day, every day, every day, and and hit a wall. I would just hit a wall. It's like you know something's there, but like you can't get to it. And what does it mean you hit a wall? What does that mean? So so I would be meditating and sort of in a in a really deep state. And like kind of approaching my own subconscious with an openness of like, listen, it's, it's very, very deep and would take a lot to explain it. But this, the essential message that I was sending to myself was mm-hmm. I'm open to knowing what this piece is so that I can heal it. Mm-hmm. Because there was some kind of coping mechanism at that stage, at that part of my life, that if I can create 
a different coping mechanism in a healthy way that doesn't have to involve illness or dis-ease, right. um, then I'm open to doing that. But I first need to know how, you know, what's the coping mechanism. So um, I did that for weeks um, and didn't get anywhere. It's like, uh, yeah. But so, not on your own, right? I mean, you needed a coach to guide you through this very profound type of meditation work, didn't you? Um, this I actually was doing a lot on my own. Wow. Um, okay. I, well, she she does a great, Brandon does a great job of sort of outlining the steps. Okay, got it. And so I was kind of just guiding myself through it. I've sort of always been this kind of person where I just like, <laughs> like I just, I could sit at home and, and figure it all out for myself from a, from a very early age. Um, so there I was just doing this day after day. And then, and then one day, it's so ironic, but one day when I wasn't in meditation, um, everything just flooded to me and all the answers came. And when I got that clarity around how MS was actually helping me to cope and really truly serving me in many ways, we don't realize how much illness serves us because we're suffering, but really it was serving me on many levels. Once I was able to see that, um, I was able to thank my body. Mm-hmm. And to to let go of whatever I was able to let go of and then to put other coping mechanisms in place that I needed to, you know, we're it's not easy to be human. Like it is just not easy to be human. And nobody teaches us these things like we don't have we're not who gives you the tools of like how to cope with just life stresses, you know. So that's where I had to pull on coaches and therapists to to put together like different coping mechanisms mm. uh, in place of illness. And, and that was it. And I was done. That's so interesting. Just just I, I, I want to move now to what happened now that you are healthy. But just to clarify one thing, when we talk about um, this covering or gaining the awareness of how the illness had been serving you we've all at this point you've uncovered how it served you but we still at the end of the day we can't mm -hmm. uncover or can we why it came to us or or can we i mean it came well we Hashem never sent it to us for whatever reason do, do we even get to yeah. a point of saying i had this particular trauma and that led to the to the illness or we just get to a point of saying okay this has served me in this and this way. Whatever started it, I don't get to. I don't go that deep. So we can. Um, each person is different and each case is different. And mm -hmm. remember, like, we're such complex beings, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, the body alone is so complex. Then you add in the mind. Then you add in the soul. Like, we're so complex. I don't believe it's ever one thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I can point to specific, like, I, I could probably list a handful, you know, of of things that, that led to my body developing disease at, at 12, um, that I'm very clear on, like, yes, this was oh, part so. of, of how I was coping. That said, while there is that deeply spiritual, profound piece, there's also a science to this, right? So, uh, if I, the, the this our cells are listening at all times mm -hmm. our cells are our our body is over 60 percent water well they've done studies that show that if you um speak kindly to water and then freeze freeze the water into ice cubes you know i don't know if you've heard of it it's i've doctor, seen it it's so unbelievable it's so beautiful. the dr emoto study it's yeah, amazing it's right? amazing so if we think of how we just speak to our own body right. Okay, that matters. A lot of us aren't aware of how we speak to our bodies. So for me, for example, and it's something I coach my clients on as well, like during this entire period, I had to also stop using the words MS, mm. stop saying I'm not feeling well, stop like all like I had to be so mindful of everything. And so when it comes down to it, yes, there's the spiritual profound component, which I would never deny. There's also a science to it, which is the more you send the message of illness to your body, that's what it will hold on to. If you start to send the message of health, I would be literally sitting and crying from pain and focused on a reality where I was healthy and strong and not in pain. Mm -hmm. And I would have to pull every ounce out of me to feel the joy of not having pain. And like do it to the extent where I could convince my brain that that's real so that the cells would start to align. 
So eventually they do like eventually your body does start to create a healthy paradigm, which is why I believe that over time my body, you know, stopped processing through symptoms because it knew I was healthy. I was doing my work to face my own emotions without it going into my body. But my body got the message of, you know, we are healthy and strong, not, you know, limited and, and weak. And so one day the doctor says, that's it. <laughs> that was the most insane experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, because again, I didn't tell him anything. And yeah, one day we're just sitting looking at my MRI several months after I knew I was done with the disease. Um, and, you know, hadn't told him, hadn't mentioned anything at this point. Um, I was getting infusions, um, every six weeks and yeah, he just one day turned to me and says, I have no idea what you did, but you're done. You won. You beat this. The irony is, I mean, I think I can say this for this show just because of your listeners, but he called it Nita. <laughs> and I, and I, I was like, excuse me. He's like, Kaylee, I don't know what you did, but you won. You know, he was Russian. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you're, you're in Nita. I was like, um, <laughs> I feel like you and I have different definitions of that. <laughs> and, and I said, what are you talking about? And he said, Nita, no evidence of disease activity. And I just stared at him. And I was like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying? Wow. He's like, you're done. You beat this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But you beat this. And, you know, we were both, it was emotional for both of us. Later, you know, now we've had some really, really deep discussions about it. And, and it turns out that as much as he said, like, I don't understand it. It's just because he didn't know the process I went through, but this is actually a clinical category within the world of MS that I, with all of my patient advocacy, with my leadership role in, in the MS world, I mean, I was like the poster child, um, in America, like I'd never even heard of this. And and so, you know, we've talked about this a lot, he and I, and, and he just said, like, most doctors are just scared to even go there and would would never want to take the risk of someone then being off medication. So we don't even bring it up. But he said, like, it's just it's there. He's like, you know, it would be negligent for me to not change your diagnosis because it's just so obvious. So. I mean, that was just, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And then to see you now that you, you have your own clients that you coach. And what I'm hearing here is that this is replicable. This is replicable, mm -hmm. not just for MS, but for right. so many other things that we deal with in life, whether it be, yes. oh my gosh, like I could just, I, I don't know, like infertility, oh, yeah. like, relationship I, issues, financial issues, uh, illness. Yeah. I mean, right? Yes. yes, it's, it applies to everything. Like I, I, I now just take the same approach and go like, okay, what else do I want to heal in my life? What else do I want to approach in my life? And I just, it's science, you know, and I just go and approach that. But, but, you know, I'm looking forward to after this episode, giving you a call and saying, hey, what's going on with your back? Because let's do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I have clients who've had remarkable, remarkable progress with back pain where they were, you know, it was like either either this or, or surgery, you know. Right. And so they took a chance on me in a sense because they're like, well, I don't know. This sounds crazy. You know, it's the harder approach because it actually takes a lot more focus, work, lifestyle change, all of that. But what I always say to people is like, you know, and this is what's, um, I feel so blessed that I get to, to do this. And that my, I have clients who trust me in this path. It's like, it's taking so much effort to also be sick and all of that energy and resilience and strength and money. And it just, it, it takes every moment of your waking life so I'm not saying that the path to health is easy, but you're already expending all of this energy. I just want you to focus that on wellness instead of illness, right? So, and we can apply that in all of our lives, right? Instead of focusing on, you know, the lack of money, how can I focus on generating it, right? right? How can I focus on, I, I, can, I can choose to focus on the, the challenges in my relationships. I can also choose to focus on what is working well. And when you focus on what is working, that grows, that expands. It amplifies, right. Yeah. Right, right, so, right, right, right. So at what point do you decide that you're um, going to start coaching people 
Is that part of the, the when they asked? Or... <laughs> um, I, I wasn't, it wasn't a decision. It was, it was a, an order basically. Um, I knew when my doctor changed my diagnosis, I knew that that was a profound moment that put me in a position to, to share this message because I actually have known other people who've healed themselves from MS from worse, but if you sat down and spoke to their their doctors, they would tell you, no, that's not true. You know, they're just in remission. It doesn't mean that they don't have it or something like that. And I said, you know, I knew there that was like the deepest miracle was that I'm getting like a medical confirmation of this. I'm going to have to do something with it. I don't know what that is yet. And I hadn't told anyone. I was scared to tell people, honestly. Um, I, I just. Why? I just, I felt like they would tell me I was crazy mm -hmm. or Ooh. would judge me. Like that, that really scared me. It, I, and, mm -hmm. and by the way, I, that was true. <laughs> like I, it was, I got more, um, like terrible responses for coming out as healthy than sharing my diagnosis when I was a kid. Wow. Um, and so many people are scared to, there's so much stigma and, and so many people are scared to share around illness. I mean, I can't tell you how many, I mean, I, I was always a patient advocate. I've worked with so many celebrities who just, you would never know. They don't talk about it. And um, it was easier for me to, to talk about being sick than to talk about being healthy, which is such an intense reflection on our society and where our values really need to move. We should be celebrating health and wellness. Um, but I'm confronting for people, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's like, how did I do this? Well, I had to do a lot of heavy lifting on, on getting in touch with myself and showing up for myself and not, you know, like not escaping my own feelings and my own reality. And that's, it's scary because it doesn't mean it's someone's fault. And I always have to clarify that. It doesn't mean that, that like it's your fault that you're sick. Absolutely not. That's out of your hands. But your wellness is your responsibility. And, you know, it is easier. It's let me tell you, it was so much easier to to do the the treatments to everything else because I know what happens if I don't show up one day. Like I know the risks. And that, you know, it's hard work, but it's it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I mean, it's, and can I like just talking about right now what we're all facing in the world today? Mm -hmm. I spent years being immunocompromised. Like I didn't have an immune system for years. And to know that like I don't have to be the one scared in the grocery store right now is like, you know, I take precaution, but I'm not scared for my life. Like that's profound. I got a plane on a plane. I mean, before all the borders were shut, but I got on a plane like what is this like a month ago now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I cried because I just realized like I never would have been able to take this kind of risk before. No way. And I did it with gloves and I did it with a mask on, but there's, there's still no way I would have done it. And I did it calmly. I was very calm. I was calm in the airport. I was calm on the plane. Because I was you just know like, your body's healthy. Your body is healthy. There's just nothing that compares to that. Like mm. it was such a profound experience that just, yeah. So now more than ever, I'm just like, you know, as I see what's happening in the world today, I'm like, you know what? It's worth every second. Um, I don't even remember your original question and how we got to this, but I don't remember either. That's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. Some, somehow it also reminded whatever you were saying before also reminded me of this idea that, you know, like very often we're more scared of success than a failure, you know? We're, yeah. And, and it comes up a lot in, in financial matters and in career moves and things like that. And um, it mm -hmm. reminded me when you said that it was scary to to tell people that you you were yeah. healed. Yeah. Oh, and that, that actually reminds me now what, what you had asked is like, how did I start coaching? Yeah. So I had only told my, my immediate family and my closest friends. I mean, literally, I could count on one hand how many people I'd shared it with. Uh-huh. And, um, but you know, <laughs> that was exciting for all of them. And so news spread mm. and I just started getting calls again within like a fairly close circle, um, of others with MS saying like, well, do you think you could do it for me? Like, do you think you could teach me what you did? And, you know, I, 
at first was like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it'll be an experiment. Like we can try, but you know, please don't bet everything on me. Let's try it. And people were getting the same results. Their symptoms were getting better. They weren't needing as much medication. Wow. It was just, and, and like, this was just experimenting. And so I was really blessed that, you know, I kind of was able to incubate, well, what, what, what worked, what were the things that moved the needle? What are the, cause I did everything, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll try anything and everything. Now I know, okay, let's first talk about EFT and then understanding the mind body connection, you know, from, from a scientific perspective and what's actually happening physically with how I manage my thoughts. But, you know, but at the time I wasn't sure which were the, which practices, which exercises, which protocols like made the shift. And so they really gave me that gift of being able to kind of experiment and learn what moved the needle. Mm. And, um, and just word started spreading. And at a certain point I went, Oh, like this is, this is what I'm doing now. Um, and so, and I, I had like a separate coaching practice as a grief coach. And I was, you know, for a period of time, I was also working full time for another organization. Like, but it just became clearer and clearer that, you know, this works and it's, it's something that is so, so unique that not many people can offer that, um, you know, it's, it was just, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, God opens the door and you just show up, like you just do what you're told. (laughs) That's, that's how I look at every day. I'm just doing what I'm told. (laughs) Wow. So you were doing, you were, you were doing grief coaching already at this point, you had been engaged already. Um, I, I got engaged while I was still in the healing process. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, I was pretty much done with MS a few months after David died. Um, so yeah, it was like, it was during, it was during the, that relationship. Yeah. So we we have we have to stop here for a second only because we need to stress the fact that how does one I mean, the story is already amazing as it is, but let's add to this the layer of complexity that you go through this painful loss and that could have set you off right like years yeah be, you know what I mean like you could have gone back to square one in, in yeah overnight. Yes. Um, and that was also expected. And everyone around me was then holding their breath. Like, I mean, really, 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 everyone was like, I, every, everyone's first question, like, every phone call, every text message, I wasn't getting them. Um, my my best friend at the time was like, basically just managing Filtering. my phone. Right. Yeah, thank God. So it's like uh, God sent the cure before the illness, almost. Yes. The fact that you had yeah. been working so strongly on your healing. Uh, otherwise, how could you have coped with it's David's true. passing? And yeah, and I had the tools now, right? right. So I, if I go back into those first few hours once I got the news, I mean, I was in the worst emotional pain. My body was, of course, immediately responding with that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I was, I, of course I was a mess. Like that that doesn't even begin to describe what I was feeling. But I had a moment where I just turned to my body and I was like, you have to be kidding me. Like you, you just like, you have to be kidding me. I can't do this also. I just can't like... I won't survive this. I can't do both. I can't grieve <laughs> on an emotional <laughs> level and like, and deal with the physical. Like I, I was just, I was so, I remember that moment and thankfully, and I had a grief coach. I was so blessed, um, to have, uh, have a good friend of mine, Marcus Fried show up like within minutes, um, and just say like, we're going to do this and I'm going to tell you exactly what to do and how you need to do it, but you got to listen. And and thank God I had that trust for him with him that I'm like, okay, fine. And, and when I told him, I'm like, I can't, my body is, I'm in so much physical pain. I was like, I can't do this. And he turned to me and he was like, you have to, because like, if you show up for this right now, you like, you're going to be the master. Like, this is going to be the moment that you master your body. And I remember feeling so angry and just like, I can't do both. Like, please don't ask me to do both. And, and, but he was right. And he, you know, he really supported me and encouraged me and helped me believe that like I could do it. And so I basically, I just surrendered, which is what we all need to do in, in grieving is like the sooner you surrender, the sooner you will heal. 
And when I surrendered to literally both the physical and emotional pain, and I just said like, okay, like whatever these emotions are, I'm just going to have to feel them and, and go deep into them and trust that this is also going to move through my body, that I'm not going to have to be stuck in this pain forever. And, and I did, I mean, it just, cause that's just how the body works. It's there to serve us. And so that physical pain that I was in was actually releasing deep, deep emotion. I just had to trust it rather than fight it. And I mean, listen, it was hell. Like there's just no two ways around it. It, it, it was hell. I, yeah, it was a lot of suffering. Hmm. Wow. Wow, Kaylee, we've unpacked so much and we could be going for another hour, but we are short on time. So <laughs> we'll do it another time. We'll have to we'll do part B. part B. But let me ask you very quickly, if you had to describe Judaism in one word, what would you say that is? What? You didn't give me that in advance. <laughs> no, I just thought of it. I, I just do that from um, time to time. <laughs> if I had to describe Judaism in one word, home. Oh, that's a good one I never heard before. Beautiful, beautiful. Now that you're on the other side, um, do you, are you... Do you fear challenges? Like, with the, I mean, like, no. let's talk about fear for a few minutes, even though we really have to, to go, but... Yeah, nothing scares me. Um, I say that with uh, immense... Really? Yeah, but I say that with immense... um, With, like, deep relationship with Hashem and saying, just because I'm not scared doesn't mean you need to challenge me. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I, I, I regularly remind him of that. Um, so, so, listen. So, so, so I want to tell you something that I, th- th- this is an, I, I, because I think I'm going to point this out because I think it's, it's, it speaks to what you just said favorably and not to what I say to Hashem. My conversation is more like I've been through some really, really hard stuff and mm-hmm. therefore I'm scared that you think I can take it. Therefore, don't, don't push me, God. Like, and I don't think that's a good place to be, but I know that's what I say, and I and I and and I do it very often, and that mm. that's not. I really push. It's amazing that you can be so vulnerable and honest about that. Um, I, you know, we we all have a piece of God inside of us, right? right. That's our soul, right. and right. and that soul wants to expand that soul is on this planet to grow and expand. And that allows our souls to feel closer to Hashem. And so it's your soul's job to show you just how strong you are and just how much Hashem is in everything. So, so I don't know, but (laughs) my guess is that if you say things like that, that's kind of like saying to your soul, like, you know, it's like your soul saying like, oh, let me show you just how strong you are, you know? And, <laughs> and I don't I'm, know I'm if like, you want to I'm like, that you game. and I know how strong and I am. Let's not test it, okay, people? <laughs> yeah, don't test it. Just thank you so much for making me so we, strong. We've it already. <laughs> let's, not, let's not do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do some JLP fill in the blanks. Otherwise, it's going to become a therapy on me. A coaching <laughs> session. <laughs> and this is the part of the show where I give you in an open-ended... Um, sentence and you finish it with the first thing that comes to mind oh i had another question i wanted to ask you yikes Kaylee, oh wow you're na- really yeah no because this toes. is what you, okay. i was going to ask you that now that you're on the other side are there any habits that you practice regularly that you're really religious about then and not i don't mean religious as in ritualistic but like things that you know that you have to do this day whether it be your eft or meditation or something else i don't know oh yeah that's a three-hour seminar <laughs> <laughs> no actually like i just gave it I just did a workshop on Sunday, basically giving people with chronic illness just to help them get through this time. Like this is what I do every single day to maintain my own wellness. Um, and it's, it's a deep, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I don't, I don't mess around with here. Oh yeah. (laughs) This is not like a five minute thing. People. No, it's not. It's not. Okay. I would say if, you know, for other people who are listening so that it doesn't feel overwhelming, like choose something, definitely choose something. And you can start, you know, you, I definitely recommend now, especially with the, the way the world is shifting and the consciousness and more of Hashem's light in the world now is a profound time to meditate. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and it's going to work wonders for your body. 
So you could start so easily with, with an app like Headspace or Insight Timer, and you could start with a minute a day and, and get up to five minutes a day. Something like that is bite size and will absolutely transform your life. Um, so just imagine like I do that for a lot more, a lot longer than five minutes. And I have like an entire, you know, an entire routine that that I live by. Listen, I called you the challenge ninja. We got to change that. You're the wellness ninja. That's it. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Yes, thank you for that. Let's let's do that. Let's, the wellness ninja. Okay. challenges. <laughs> let's see these jail please fill on the blanks. They're really a lot of fun. Okay, first one is I'm Kaylee Zaytuni and I feel most spiritual when? When I'm in a session with my clients. Nice. My favorite mitzvah or one I connect with the most is? Shabbat. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Making Aliyah. Hmm. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? What it means to have a soul. Nice. When I give tzedakah, charity, I'd like to give to? I like to give to organizations that have directly impacted me. Mm -hmm. So I give to High Lifeline, Chabad of USC, and Ogen, which if I can just say it's an Israeli organization, they give interest-free loans to Israelis in need. And because it's a loan, it gets recycled. So I have a fund there in David's memory. And I get to see, you know, how many people that fund impacts every year. So wow, those, that's yeah. really cool. Finally, <laughs> I'm Kaylee Zaytuni. And today I feel most grateful for mm, now more than ever, I'm more most grateful for my health, especially with everything going on and my ability to serve, you know, everything I faced has given me the, the tools to, to help others right now. Um, because I've I've walked the fire. So I'm really grateful that I can help at a time like this. Beautiful. Kaylee, we've learned so much from you. Tell us where listeners can find you if they want to be in touch, where they can learn mm -hmm. more about you, about your coaching, etc. Yeah. So um, you can go to my website, KayleeZ.com. Um, and there you can learn about both my illness recovery coaching programs and my grief coaching. I'm also um, unrolling. I'm going to be launching a an online wellness course mm. um, in a couple weeks, hopefully right after Pesach, um, especially right now. I just want people to have these tools. And you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm always doing different things. I have a new show called Use the Pause, which is really helpful. Um, people, ha we've gotten great feedback on just how helpful it is to just understand how to process what we're all facing right now. Um, is this a podcast? Uh, no, it's an online show. Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah. we can access all that through your website and we can sign up for the wellness course there as well? Yes, definitely. Amazing. Amazing. Kaylee, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And I have a feeling we're going to have to continue this conversation. I would love it. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks to Kaylee Zaytuni for stopping by. You can learn more about her coaching work at KayleeZ.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating, which is really a two-second thing you do by scrolling down the screen once you're inside the podcast in your podcast library. It will take you down a few episodes, and afterwards, it will take you to the review and rating section, and that's it. Ratings and reviews are very important for iTunes to know that this is a show they have to keep in their top rankings and we've been there at times. So it's important to keep telling iTunes that this is indeed a great show in the Judaism category. And related to that, if you have 30 seconds to fill out my listener survey, I will be entering 20 random participants to gift them a $10 Amazon gift card as a thank you for taking the survey. And you can find that very short survey at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash survey. This will be super helpful to make help me know you, my audience, and see how I can serve you better. I hope you're having a great Passover and I wish you all continued health and to all of those who are ill as well as to those who are in the front lines in the healthcare system battling this disease, my prayers are with you. God willing, I'll catch all of you next time in the Beit HaMikdash with the Third Temple. Until then, have a great Passover and a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.